This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. All right, welcome into episode 116 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. Um, We have some exciting news that we literally just logged into (laughs) the place where we record our podcast every week and we realized that Zencaster, that's the name of the podcast platform, has a new video feature. So of course Kayla Anderson here was not prepared for that but Joshua he he's going to be prepared no matter what next week I am going to be prepared so what we will probably start doing is not only is this going to go up with the audio the regular audio that you guys hear on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, but I am also going to start putting it on my YouTube channel and we'll be able to put some of that out on Twitter as well. So at the end of the podcast, I'll let you know what the YouTube channel name is, but next week you can expect to see some video. If you guys want to see these uh, broadcasts and faces, because you know that's what we do. We are originally (laughs) broadcasters here on the TV side. No, so that was kind of fun, Joshua. Joshua popped on. He's like, oh, okay, what is this? I know. I'm like my face. I'm like, oh my god, what the hell is going on? I'm like, Ooh. but uh, no, it's it's kind of cool. The whole interface looks different. Uh, I mean, it's it's got some cool features too. Like you can raise your hand on here, yeah, and it'll say like, you know, JP has something to say, which I think is kind of funny. But um, I'm I'm looking forward to putting up the YouTube videos because you're 100 right. We're both TV people, so um, it'll be fun. And then the other thing that'll help, I think, just with the production of this podcast for us is the ability to see one another. And that's something that we're so used to, Uh, whether we're in studio or or we're doing even remote interviews, the ability to see the person you're talking to um, definitely helps enhance uh, the the quality of the conversation. So podcast is getting better every single week we do it and we're 116 shows in. So it's about in time, but very excited. I love it. I absolutely love it. We're moving right along here and we are going to get started with some coaching updates, Joshua. So this is the latest and the greatest in the college world. We have a former Auburn head coach, Gus Malzahn. Uh, He parted ways with Auburn and quickly didn't take much time. He has been hired as the head coach at UCF. Of course, UCF's coach, Josh Heupel, went to the University of Tennessee. To me, Joshua, when I'm looking at Gus Malzahn going to UCF, um, I look at this as a better hire than Tennessee getting Josh Heupel. You, you literally said it. Like I'm, I was sat there, and the first thing that I said is, if you are UCF, would you rather have Josh Heupel or Gus Malzahn? And I think that UCF would say Gus Malzahn. And then even take it the next step, if you're Tennessee – realistically, would you rather have Josh Heupel or Gus Malzahn? And a lot of people would probably say Gus Malzahn. So I think it's a home run hire. I think they did a great job. And then this is the other thing to consider from Gus Malzahn's standpoint is Scott Frost was there some years ago, uh, used that as a stepping stone, got to Nebraska, which is a, a, a traditional college football power. They're not on that level yet again, but you know they're, they're looking to step up and it's a Big Ten job. And then uh, Josh Heupel, like we just said, step from UCF into the SEC at Tennessee. Again, one of the traditional college football brands, not necessarily where they used to be, um, but hoping to trend in that direction. So for Gus Malzahn, 
in terms of, uh, you know, a little career rehab. Um, it's a great spot to be a head coach. He's in a talent-rich state, and it's going to be a great opportunity for him to hang some banners there at UCF in the American Conference. Yeah, and you're you're talking about I, people look at it as oh he's kind of got booted out of the SEC, and in a way it's like okay well this is a great challenge for him because he is not technically in the SEC he's maybe not going to be able to get every single top recruit, um, but at the same time guys know his name he has built a a name in the coaching business he is in Florida where there are a lot of um, really talented players. We talked about the development. If you are able to get some of these guys that aren't as well known and being able to develop them at a place like UCF, I really have, I feel like he has a chance to do something good there. And we saw that it's possible. Like you mentioned, Scott Frost was able to elevate this program to put them on the map. And I'm sure Gus Malzahn also, Joshua, has a, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down here and I'm going to prove that I can do this. Because if he really didn't want to coach, if it wasn't really his passion, he had money that he got mm -hmm. from Auburn <laughs> that he could have just went on the beach and retired for a few years. Yeah. No, it's the perfect situation. Like you said, uh, talent-rich state, which is where it all starts. He's going to be able to recruit his tail off, and he's used to recruiting down south too, which is going to give him an edge, especially for some of those players that might be a little bit overlooked, but he knows that they're talented guys because he's used to seeing what really talented players look like. Um, and, and then the opportunity in a conference like the American that's got some eyeballs on it, but definitely uh, when you look at some of the top teams there, they've been up there, and it's it's a winnable situation and it's a program now that you feel like is a developer of uh, coaches that are ready to take the next step. So I'm excited to see what happens there. And, and I said it kind of in the first point, but just from a transactional standpoint, um, UCF, definitely a winner there. It almost feels like an upgrade from what they had before. Maybe that's a dumb comment in two or three years. Maybe Josh Heupel goes out there and kills it. And, and you know, they lost a really good coach, but um, the way it feels to me right now is that program's going to be able to maintain steam and even enhance with Malzahn as their head coach. I agree. And we'll get to the second. We have little bullets here, but I, I'll get to Tom Herman in a second. But because we're on the note of um, Josh Heupel, that we've mentioned his name in Tennessee, I, I did want to mention that that's the thing, though, Joshua, that Heupel has a lot to prove. I mean, he's going to a place that has really put themselves in the cellar of the SEC. And it's really because of the things they've done to themselves as a program, right? They've shot themselves in the, in the foot as a um, university in a way with just the decisions that they've made over the past several years. And they uh, did not get Al Washington, which I first wanted to touch on because the last time we talked last week on our podcast, that was really something that um, he was considering doing was taking mm -hmm. the defensive coordinator position. Why did he stay at Ohio State? Well, I, I think it's this. We talked about it. Um, we said the number $1.5 million was being tossed around. And I think I, I said on this show, because I said it on another broadcast I was doing on a different show, that um, I would be hard-pressed to believe that $1.5 million was a number. I thought it was always in the um, you know 1.2 to 1.3 range maximum. And I think that was the case. So it was an enticing offer. I think he probably would have jumped at 1.5, but 1.2 is maybe something you would think about if Ohio State is willing to offer you 900 or a million and a um, you know a co-coordinator uh, title, you would want to stay there. And I, I truly think the decision came down to, number one, he's a Columbus guy, went to Bishop Watterson, which is right down the street from Ohio State's campus. His dad was a Buckeye, um, so it's in his blood. But number two is the stability of the role that he has at Ohio State. And if it seems like he was able to convince them to give him some sort of co-coordinator title. And so for him, he felt like the stability as a co-coordinator at Ohio State was maybe better than being the guy um, at Tennessee as defensive coordinator. And he might still be able to take the same career step forward, mm -hmm. you know, and even if it delays him a year or so it's better than putting your neck out there at Tennessee. I just don't think right. it's seen even 
at $1.3 million a year, or even 1.5, if that was the number as a coordinator is necessarily a desirable job for a guy who is uh, still a younger coach and his, his career is trending upward. Yeah. I think you do have to take something out of that, his decision to not go to Tennessee uh, with all the things that you said, of course, you know, he is from Columbus, but you know, he could have taken this job and, and maybe it would have elevated him on the fast track of taking a really good head coaching job in the future. But he just didn't think it was worth it. You know, when you compare it, like you said, um, maybe, you know, an extra mill or two, uh, it just to stay there at Ohio State to to grow his career there, to have the stability there where he feels comfortable that, you know, he's under the right watch. Um, he's not going to randomly lose his head coach um, if things don't go right. That's really what it comes down to because yeah. Tennessee just it, it can't have that stability until it proves itself. And no. it hasn't been able to do that. So they did hire a, another guy out of the Big Ten. And so the Vols hired Penn State co-defensive coordinator Tim Banks as its new um, defensive coordinator. So Banks has been at Penn State for five seasons. Um, he was also coaching the Nittany Lions safeties. Um, before that, co-defensive coordinator at Illinois, the co-defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, and defensive coordinator at Central Michigan, which is his alma mater. What do you think about this hire, Joshua? Um, it's very interesting. So I'll say two things. Uh, number one, just back on Al Washington, he's 36 years old, and I think that really yeah. plays into the decision-making too because mm -hmm. he feels like he has time at that point. He's not up against the sure. clock, whereas Tim Banks is a guy who's never been you know, a head coach before. Um, he's been a coordinator, um, but maybe he's really looking to take that next step, and he wants to bet on himself at 49 years old. So there's a definite difference there. Um, Tim Banks knew him a little bit from recruiting when he was at Cincinnati and then um, obviously played against him when he was uh, coaching at Illinois and then have covered him in the Big Ten a very good coach. He's, he's well-respected. Now I think at Penn state, Brent Pry was the guy who was really calling the shots on defense, but Tim Banks was heavily involved in a lot of the game planning and is a guy who's definitely known to recruit pretty well uh, for the Nittany lions. So I think that's going to be a welcome addition. Um, like I said before, you feel like a guy at his age is really trying to, to put his resume out there. He's, he's really trying to put his best work on tape. And so he's going to want to develop players and make sure that the scheme is tight there. Um, and then the thing that I do appreciate too is uh, Josh Heupel went after Al Washington, uh, who is a minority candidate. And then you go and hire Tim Banks, who is a minority candidate as well. I, I think it's really good to put that as an emphasis for one of your coordinators, especially down South where uh, we know what the demographics look like there and what recruiting is like. So um, I think that was probably a point of emphasis, but even in doing so, they got a really good coach who's well-respected, spent a lot of time in the Big Ten, which is a great conference going to the SEC. I think it really translates, and um, you know it's going to be tough, like I said, at Tennessee, but um, yeah. you bring in a guy who's who's got experience, you bring in a guy who can recruit, and I think it definitely helps. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that I, uh, you touched on the m minority hire. I like that. I also like the fact that you know, you're taking someone out of the Big Ten at a program that has been um, obviously very highly talked about and, and has produced in the last several years. And so it, it's, you know, he's done his research and I, I wish them the best. I, I really do. I hope he um, has some success down there in the SEC and can kind of elevate this um, program's defense and Overall, it'll be interesting to see how everything comes together. That's what's my favorite part about watching um, new coaches come to programs, especially programs that have been struggling, because it's always just interesting to see how they do it, right? What their process mm -hmm. is like, the people that they bring in that they think can help change things. And right now, I think Heupel's doing a pretty good job of um, putting together this coaching staff and his, the recruiting side of things as well. Um, I'm not going to say that it's going to work, but um, I, I will say that as as of right now, it, it seems to be coming together well. So we'll we'll have to see what happens there. Um, a guy though that does not have a job yet, <laughs> and and you, it was so funny because when um, Gus Malzahn got hired, Joshua sent me a, a message on Twitter and was like, "Did you see the hire?" And then he was like, 
Um, yeah, and Tom Herman still doesn't have a job. So yes, we're talking about Tom Herman, uh, not at Texas anymore, and still jobless. Yeah, there is something going on there. It's yeah. it's very curious to me. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why, is the success that he had basically taking that step. Um, I believe it was Iowa State where he was at before Urban hired him mm-hmm. to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. I was in the building the same time he was there. He was a huge reason why we won the national title in 2014. And the Buckeye fans understand the drop-off in the the competence of the offense when Tom Herman left Ohio State and went to Houston. And he took that Houston program and he became one of those group of five teams that everybody talked about. Guys were getting drafted. They were in that national conversation, New Year's Six type of team. And then he went to Texas. And although he improved upon what Charlie Strong did, it wasn't good enough for Texas. And so they let him go. But the curious thing becomes, how does a coach with his resume of success as not only a play caller and a coordinator, but also a head coach um, in the American Conference, which we have talked about is the group of five conference to really be in, mm-hmm. uh, not have not just a head coaching job, people. He's not a coordinator. He's not the quarterback coach. He's not a damn analyst right now. He is at home like me and Kayla. Yeah. And uh, it's this is what I'll say is when Urban in his last season was going through all of the off-field drama related to one of his former assistant coaches and an ex-wife. Um, Tom Herman's name yeah. was one that consistently popped up um, as a catalyst into what may have prompted how publicly that played out. Yep. And I don't want to get into the details of it because that's a very serious situation. It's one that deserves more respect than um, gossip on a podcast. But it is factual that his name did pop up uh, a number of times while that was going on. Um, Also, Tom Herman was the coach who during, uh, I can't remember if, I think it was the bowl game, was mocking uh, Drew Locke, I believe, from Missouri. Um, he is the coach on signing day that was on camera flipping the bird. There are a lot of questions about his maturity, about his uh, ability to handle the stress of the job, about his ability to be the front, the face of one of the top programs in college football. And honestly, there's probably some stink on him just because of how things have gone down over these last couple of years. And to be completely fair, I didn't think Texas was performing the way that they necessarily should have been, but Tom Herman didn't do bad enough to be fired just off of that alone. So I I do believe now as all this comes together and literally nobody is trying to hire him, there's something going on within coaching circles that says that Tom Herman is not a touchable guy at this moment. Yeah. And that's a great point, you know, because usually with these names and we talk about names all the time and how names are able to really resurface Mm -hmm. in this um, business and it hasn't resurfaced at all. And so you do have to start to wonder, um, is some of it a character situation and they talk in these circles and coaches you know tell stories and we're again we're not going to be sharing stories on here but um, you do have to think you know it has to be maybe more than just x's and o's and do i expect him to get another head coaching job at a a well-known program right now no probably not would i see him eventually getting some sort of a coordinator position uh, perhaps this year, could I also see him really just taking a year off to maybe figure out uh, the things he needs to figure out if he is dealing with things or if things are kind of not right right now um, in his own life. And, and that's, that's also a possibility. But um, I do think it's, it was worth bringing up that he, he's still jobless. Yeah. It, it is worth bringing up because he, well, he has uh, been at some really prestigious places. I'll say a couple of things before we move off of this topic. Um, the the uh, the character I think really is it. Um, 
because we talked about some of the maturity things we talked about, do you handle the stress? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, here's a guy who also like jumped on, you know, how every big fan base has like, you know, Ohio state has 11 warriors. There's probably something right. down there for Tennessee. that's very similar. Yep. He jumped on one of the, uh, fan sites down there, uh, a reporter who asked him a question he didn't like, and people will take notice of that stuff nationally. Right. And so yeah. that to me stands out that maybe you don't get to go from Texas to being a head coach, even at, and I'm trying to think of who would be in the basement of, you know, big 10 football, like Illinois or a Rutgers or something okay. like that. Like you don't get yeah. to go from Texas to one of those maybe, but you would figure that, and I'm I'm just throwing names out here. I'm not saying actual vacancies that existed, but like, you know, Southern Mississippi, like you would feel like he would be in the running to be a head coach there. Or if that's not the case, like, you know, who's looking for a new offensive coordinator was, was I'm again, I'm just spitballing programs. I'm not saying any of these were looking for coaches, but like, you know, was Georgia looking for an offensive coordinator? Yeah. Was Florida, was Penn State, was USC, was Oregon? Like, he didn't even get an opportunity to do that. Mm-mm. Who was looking for a quarterback coach? Like, I, I'm I'm trying to make sense of this whole thing. You know, it's, it's just weird. And I guess this will be my project for next week. But like, when was the last time a a coach of his caliber mm-hmm. in terms of game planning, in terms of resume, um, got fired and then had to take a year off because nobody wanted them. I, I'd be curious to see that. That's, I, I hope you do look up that and bring us what you find next week because, I yeah, I'm actually curious about that too. Um, how long did it take Lane Kiffin once he was pretty much uh, left on the tarmac at USC? I honestly, I don't think it took very long at all. I don't think he had to take any time off. I'll I'll take a look at that while, you know, you're doing your thing real quick. Okay. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. So we'll, we'll move on to some talk about Pro Day, which came early for quarterback, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. He's clearly going to be going Number one overall, probably, um, headed to Jacksonville as Urban Meyer is the new head coach down there. Um, he actually held a pro day um, this past week because he had shoulder surgery um, just a few days ago. So he wanted to go ahead and knock that out. And, of course, Urban Meyer was there in person, up close and personal, to see uh, what is likely to be his future NFL quarterback. Uh, before I get into that, did you want to mention anything about Lane? Yep. So it says uh, Lane Kiffin was fired 3 a.m. Los Angeles time, called off the team bus. This was in 2013. And so December of 2013, he spent eight days with Alabama staff reviewing their team's offense. And Kiffin interviewed for the vacant coordinator job on January 9th, 2014. And he was hired. And, uh, was a finalist for the Broyles award in 2014. So that's what I'm saying. Like even Lane Kiffin is, is yep. and we, we talk about him all the time because oh, that right. man is not normal, but there's a guy who had a lot of issues was hired right away. And then literally became one of the top coordinators yeah. that year. Yeah. I mean, so that goes to kind of just show again, it, it probably comes back to a character issue for Tom Herman. So we'll stay updated on that. Who knows? We'll maybe bring you the, the latest news on that um, if, it, if it is to come. And if not, maybe he will take a year off. You just never know with these guys. Um, well, he got so the money to do it. He does got the money to do it. That is absolutely right. Sometimes you just got to clear the mind. You got to figure things out <laughs> in your personal life to be better in what you're doing in terms of running like a, a whole program with all yeah. the kids that are learning under you. Get yourself Spend right. a year in Mexico. Exactly. Right? On a sandy beach. That sounds amazing right now. Yes. We have snow in Nashville. So that would be, <laughs> that would just be great. Um, 
back to the pro day for Trevor Lawrence, I was mentioning Urban Meyer was there, got to see him. And for the most part, Trevor Lawrence uh, did everything he needed to do for whoever needed to see whatever else he could leave out on the table before he got a shoulder surgery. And it wasn't the shoulder, his throwing shoulder, by the way, guys. So um, what were your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence just getting out there one last time before um, probably before anybody sees him uh, in the draft? Very unique. It was uh-huh. a unique situation because he didn't have to do what he no, did. No, he didn't. There's only one person that I've seen anywhere that works for any publication that doesn't have Trevor Lawrence's QB1 in um, this upcoming draft. Mm-hmm. And so for him, uh, he could have gone this whole time. Basically, nobody sees him. He doesn't have to be seen. And it was a foregone conclusion that he would be the top pick at quarterback. But um, he's a competitor and he's a guy who wants to put his best foot forward, show that he's not afraid of any challenge and really cement um, to NFL personnel that he's ready to take the next step is exactly what he did. I thought he looked crisp Um, when I, and I I've said this a hundred times, but it just, it stands out to me when I watch him throw, Mm -hmm. there is a, the velocity is different to me. You know, just the, the ball placement is different to me than any college quarterback that I've seen um, played against or watched on television, um, you know, since basically 2012 when I got into college. And so I was very impressed. Now, one thing that was funny, and I, I, this is probably only because he's going to be the guy that takes Trevor Lawrence, but sure. Urban was like standing right on the field, yep, like right in front of Trevor, yep. the whole freaking pro day. Yep. And I'm just like, oh God, coach, like you can't do that anymore. If you're, you're coaching in the league like that, that doesn't fly anymore, right? but you know, that's his number that's one it. pick. So whatever. Yeah, that's Urban for you. That's the first yeah. thing that came to mind for me too. I was like, oh, that's Urban for you. You know, um, I, I mean, I'll say this. I, I'm, I mean, I'm expecting him to go to Jacksonville. Obviously I'm, I'm thrilled in a selfish way, being able to cover the AFC South and, and to, be able to probably see him at least once every year when they come to Nashville. And if I travel to Jacksonville, like I have in the past, um, see him twice. So that, I, I mean, I'm thrilled to be able to see him at the next level. I think it's, it's going to be really great for the league um, getting in a, another really good quarterback like that, um, that, that will have hopefully a long career, but not everybody Joshua is going to have their own little personal pro day and some of these these players aren't even going to get to have as many scouts and GMs at these pro days that they might have in the past or if they were at the combine. Because we mentioned there's no combine this year. And I found this is interesting. I chatted with um, Titans GM John Robinson, we the media did today, from Nashville and uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And he pretty much mentioned that pro days this year are, are going to be a struggle to get to. Uh, He even saying himself, we don't know how many pro days we're going to get to to see these guys in person. He said, right now, we're allowed five Zoom interviews per week Hmm. with um, these prospects. Hmm. But if you and that's five Zoom interviews, they can actually talk to them on the phone, I think, an endless amount. Oh, okay. Be able to go on Zoom. Sure. It's limited to five per week. then he had mentioned, like I said, it's going to be very difficult to get to a lot of these pro days because every state, every city has its own restrictions still with COVID happening. And um, he, you know, he also mentioned, obviously, they're going to have to get tested every time they go before. So there's just a lot that goes into it. And I just, my first thoughts were like, dang, I feel really bad for some of these guys that just aren't going to get the looks that they have in the past um, because, again, we're we're in this this um pandemic still at least it's the end of it but we're still in it for this season going into it yeah it's a a struggle for sure like the the pandemic definitely hurt the chances of uh many players and in you know like the the nfl combine what is it like 300 guys get to go to the combine and so it's not every draft eligible prospect right you know, who is declared that gets to show off their talents, but it definitely makes it easier to have a central location um, where NFL personnel can converge and they can, you know, get their eyes and their, their hands and um, their evaluations on a lot of the the players that they, they hope to be selecting or at least considering maybe signing a a rookie free agent deal with. Um, But now you, you spread it out, you put pro days, not only are the pro days just kind of sporadically scheduled, 
which becomes a logistical issue. But like you said, the travel due to COVID becomes problematic. And um, imagine if you've got, you know, two or three pro days that you would be interested in seeing mm-hmm. on the same day, or, or maybe they're a day apart, but they're on different coasts, you know, that becomes difficult. Sure. And uh, there's only so much personnel, so many, I guess, people that exist in, in scouting mm-hmm. and evaluation, only so many coaches on the staff. Um, there's only one GM. And so it makes it really hard to do that. Now I know from, um, just my personal knowledge, one of my uh, really good friends is a uh, uh, an area scout for the New England Patriots, and he says that they watch every senior, every single senior uh, on tape, wow. and then they watch their, their draft-eligible prospects that they believe are likely to come out on tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bill Belichick has been known to personally go to um, the Division Two Pro Day in the torrents of rain at a facility that is outdoor because it's division two and they don't have a, a, you know, an indoor field house where the football team can work out. Um, they've been known to do that. And so you feel like a team like new England would be better um, equipped to handle this unique environment. Other teams who maybe they rely on the combine and then they like to go to the pro days of Ohio state and Georgia and Florida and USC, where, you know, it's going to be a lot of guys and, um, Ohio State's pro day has been known to have guys that are from uh, Mount Union and Wittenberg and Ohio Dominican, um, not just Buckeyes. Now those guys are going to have to figure out how to do something that they traditionally would not do. It is an absolute mess. Um, and so now it becomes even more of a game of cat and mouse for a lot of these teams when it comes down to maybe their third or fourth round picks and beyond, um, especially when it comes down to their rookie free agents. You know, how are they going to get evaluations on these guys? Maybe the teams that have done uh, more comprehensive due diligence in the past would definitely have a leg up this year. Yeah. And you also do think about, you know, from the team's like perspective of things, <clears throat> it is harder to really um, get to know these guys. If, if you're not doing much in person, uh, it, it's, it's one thing to like do a Zoom or do a phone call. Um, but if you really needed to to dive into like, are you going to make the the right choice? Like, let's say for a first round draft pick, right? Or, and I bring this up because John Robinson took Georgia offensive um, lineman Isaiah Wilson last year, and um, yeah, he's a mess. To stay on the team right now. Yeah, he's a mess. I, I mean, it's a bad deal. Yeah. And so yeah. to me, it, it was a lot. Of, it was the character situation. Right. And they sure. were like, well, we, we thought we knew him when we talked to you. And it's like, but, but you really didn't spend time. Like you didn't really know him. Well, and, this is the, the thing, though. I like, spent a whole season with him. But you get what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's just. Yes. You can read someone in person so much more than you can in a Zoom or, a you know, a phone interview. I tend to agree with that, but but if you're a prospect that has character issues, you're a liar. Um, and True. so you're going to do your best to do probably what you've done to other people is, you know, yeah. be charming and put on a front and lie. The mm-hmm. The thing that I would question in that situation is not your ability to get hands on with the prospect, but um, who are your sources on campus? Who are who are the the back channels that you're going through? Who are the investigators that are, you know, who are the spies that you have um, yep. getting intel on these guys? Because I, I think that's what the, the great teams really rely on is somebody, for example, um, I've got a a guy who it's a different guy than the scout who I was just talking about because I wouldn't front him out like that. But I've got a guy who's in personnel in the NFL and, um, you know, he'll text me or call me during the season or, or in the off season and be like, hey, you know, what do you know about this guy? I've heard X, Y and Z. Um, you know, can you vet this for me? Mm-hmm. That's what the the best ones do is like, they'll be at practice. Uh, I met this cat at practice one day, um, talked to him for a long time. He's a really good dude, but he's mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know, what I pride myself on is being able to find out the information that nobody else can get. So you meet the former players or you meet the guy that owns the bar on campus, or um, you get really close with the director of player development who, you know, if you, if you have a genuine relationship, they'll speak candidly. That's what's going to be most important when you're trying to get the character eval this year is do your scouts have relationships? Because yep. no, if they don't, then it's just going to be a challenge. It, it, it is. And, and they're thinking about, too, like 
these GMs, um, <clears throat> these coaches, they're, they're thinking about so much else right now because everything else is so different that some, sometimes I think some of the details and the, the digging that should be going on with some of these guys that they're looking at maybe um, got kind of pushed with pushed a little bit don't you think because spot on it's so hard for me to believe like a guy like john robinson who is and i and i truly believe what when he says this he like he wants guys that love ball that that don't that don't do anything else but like want to be a team player right and i do believe that because most of the guys on this team are like that um but how do you miss that right with a guy like isaiah wilson who's just been anything but that um, and so it just, it makes me think, you know, there's so many other distractions. There's so many other things that have been different. Um, and somebody asked him that question, like, did you learn kind of how to prepare better last year for what's going to have to take place this year too? And, and he said, yeah, we did, but it, you know, it, you just, you have to think that that had to come into play. Yeah. No. And I mean, we talked about John Robinson offline before we got on here. I, I got to meet him when I was a draft prospect and um, he was very candid with me. He gave me some really good advice and I've got respect for him just because of his approach. But mm-hmm. to your point, I don't think that he's a guy that would um, overlook any of those things, but you have to remember to your point last year um, they're getting Intel and they're making selections. And it's, it's literally this time last year that the whole world just changes. Yeah. You know, everything becomes different. And so these, these guys are trying to, adapt to the new normal, just like the rest of us are. And how many of us had missteps in business or how many of us uh, maybe were less productive because we were trying to get our footing. Mm -hmm. And and it's the same thing with these NFL uh, personnel departments where last year, especially like you don't give anybody a pass because you get paid a lot of money to find the solutions and to, to do the job to the best of your ability. But like, it's understandable still how somebody could um, maybe not have done all of the due diligence with the given circumstances and the fact that they had to make so many adjustments on the fly. Yeah. Um, this year is different because um, maybe people were being optimistic and didn't anticipate it would be like this, but it was 100% anticipation that we could be in this very situation in this moment. Yeah. Um, so you would just hope that they're better prepared now. Yeah, no, you would. I mean, they had to have learned something and I hope that we're not talking about this again. I mean, I hope that we better not be right. Oh my gosh. Let's just get Shit. back to normal with this. Stuff. <laughs> um, so we wrap things up with something that we thought would be an interesting topic. And, and we know that it happened uh, a little bit uh, further than we usually like to, to um, talk about things, but it happened early last week where um, Urban Meyer, again, we're bringing up Urban, um, the new head coach down in Jacksonville, decided to hire former Iowa strength coach Chris Doyle, Chris Doyle as his new um, strength coach down in Jacksonville. And let's just say, first and foremost, Joshua, it, it did not go over well. Um, and then I'll just kind of let you talk about everything that um, followed that hiring because it didn't last long. Yeah. No, it did not at all. It was interesting too, because I was um, going to message you mm-hmm. and I didn't because it was something that I saw on Wikipedia, but it had not been confirmed um, through any outlets that I had seen. But the Wikipedia page for Jacksonville Jaguars, because I was trying to see what the staff was coming together, like said that Chris Doyle was the director of of sports performance for Jacksonville. And I'm like, Chris Doyle, I'm like, why do I know that name, Chris Doyle? And so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, this is a reason why is because literally all summer long on BTN and then like for like the first three or four weeks of the football season, once Big Ten football got back, we talked about Chris Doyle, who was the the longtime 20-year uh, Iowa strength coach, yeah. the highest paid in his profession at over a million dollars a year that was fired. Uh, for accusations of racism mm-hmm. and a uh, a negative culture within his team. And so I'm sitting back thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, man, this cannot go over well. <laughs> um, like this is especially after the year that we just had sure. where a, a point of emphasis was for folks to listen to black people when we say, that, um, you know, we get mistreated and we should not have to deal with that. But also when black folks said that you need to look a little bit deeper 
when you're making decisions on personnel than to just bring in somebody that you've known, uh, especially when that person is known to have done things in the past that are bad. Um, and that's exactly where it got. By the end of the week, every news outlet was talking about it. Uh, we were talking about Trevor Lawrence's pro day in the last segment, and that was one of the things that was being talked about on ESPN alongside Trevor Lawrence's pro day. When Urban Meyer was down there on the field, they would bring up the fact that he hired Chris Doyle. And, um, you know, a lot of people were up in arms about it, as they should have been. And Urban put out a statement essentially defending the hire at first, saying that he had known Chris Doyle for over 20 years and that he had vetted him, which I'll dive into what it means to vet somebody in a sec, and that he didn't anticipate there be any issues. Now, Kayla, when I say that, uh, you know, I vetted X, Y, and Z, if I'm hiring a coach who just got fired, like, what would your process be? Like, when I say I vetted that person, what do you think I would have done? Like that, like if you were in the process of looking at, yeah, him like if I was urban and I was vetting that coach, like what are things I should do? I mean, first and foremost, you should be talking to to people that played for him. You should be probably talking to people that worked for him. Um, you should be checking to see if he did anything after <clears throat> he was pretty much like told to get out, um, just to see if he got any help with the things that he, you know, was doing, which was, uh, from everything that I heard he was accused of. I mean, it was just, how can you even have exactly. the years that you had there <laughs> doing that? I mean, you, you have to do everything you can. If you think that is yep. like, if you think that's the right hire, you have to do everything you can to make sure that he's gotten straightened out, which I don't think can really just happen overnight. Um, but no. that's, that's not what he did because it's at all because he's known this guy since his Utah days. That's all it came down to. It didn't come down to any of that. That's 100% the issue. Um, and to your point, like you talk to guys who were a part of those teams and you try to figure out what those guys were doing. This is the other thing that I think is very important in that process is, is if you're urban, um, you would be best served to talk to some of the veteran players in that locker room, specifically some of the veteran black players in that locker room and say, Hey, this is the guy I'm considering. This is his past. Um, do your research, come back to me in a couple of days and tell me if you'd be comfortable with this hire, because I'm sure he consulted with none of the players there because he's never had to do that before as a coach. Um, nope. And I'm, I'm 100% sure players in that locker room would have, they wouldn't have, that would not have gone well. I, I feel like he would have lost credibility, probably has lost a little bit of credibility just based off mm -hmm. of that decision um, alone. But th this is the other thing too, is a lot of times when we get in these situations, one, one thing that heals is time, right? The temporal distance of your wrongdoings to your next opportunity. And mm -hmm. Chris Doyle was paid over a million dollars to just disappear from Iowa and a year later, he's back in a director level position now in the NFL. Um, that is extremely problematic. And so he he ended up putting in a resignation, which I understand that probably from a contractual standpoint, the only way to get rid of him without having to probably buy out his contract would be a resignation because they knew 100% when they hired him who he was and what he did. So that wouldn't be you know, oh, we hired you under pretenses that you were a different person than what you were. They knew. So they had to force the resignation, but it just feels soft. But that's exactly what happened. And now we're in a situation where, um, you know, you're, you're questioning Urban Meyer's judgment, especially after, like I said, the year that we had, um, where you should be even more aware of some of these issues. But it brings up this situation that I want to kind of end with is, um, Urban Meyer was the front runner for that Jacksonville Jaguars job that was pretty widely known. Nobody knows what the interview process was really like, but the NFL has the Rooney rule where you're supposed to interview a minority candidate. Correct. I don't know who that candidate was for the head coaching job in Jacksonville. And so they hire Urban Meyer, who's been uh, a coach for a very long time. Um, obviously, he's got his connections within the industry, and he goes really deep into his pipeline to pull out a, uh, a guy who was accused of racism and was fired from one stop to go into a director level position, probably didn't do the vetting process he was supposed to do, all these other things. 
And um, it, it really brings up the question of why there aren't enough black coaches in certain situations. This is the example mm -hmm. is a guy like Urban Meyer, who has a ton of power, who has been in the coaching ranks and, um, you know, has the connections, decides to go to his pipeline instead of maybe uh, digging deep and asking some questions about some potential minority candidates that would have been well suited for the job. He hires the problematic guy. Exactly. Right. And so it's not the it's not this is not Chris Doyle's problem. Right. This is an Urban Meyer problem where you can be a guy who isn't necessarily, um, you know, committing racist acts against players yourself, but you hire the guy that does. Yep. And so you're a guy who is in, in air quotes and I, you know, Urban's my guy. I played for him. I love him to death. You're well-meaning, but you put you put a bad guy in a position of power and it happens far too often, not just in coaching, but this is something that happens in business and corporate America. Yeah. It's something that we see in our industry and we talk about quite often. Um, and it's maybe not the race thing, but it's the male female thing sometimes too. Mm -hmm. It's um, you, you don't necessarily um, you know, you don't hire the gay person or the trans person, whatever right. the case is, but this is a, 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 a glaring example of issues in organization building and issues in hiring um, to where everything's out there. The information is, is just as clear as day and that guy can still be hired. And if it, this is the other thing, and I'm going to hop off this horse when I'm done with this, but the guy is hired. The information's clear as day. It didn't matter. Right. Nope. Jacksonville is one of the smaller media markets for the NFL. And so maybe Urban Meyer might have thought that he could get away with hiring a questionable coach, right? And it's the NFL, so everything's going to be under a microscope. But what happens if instead of Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL, this is something that's happening at Western Kentucky University or at Troy or, you know, one of these El Camino College, like I'm just throwing out small schools, right? This could be happening anywhere that doesn't have the media presence, that doesn't have the the big brand coach that would draw the attention. Um, and that's why people are able to get away with it. Because when they're doing it in corporate America, like the CEOs of these companies and the people who are in charge of HR are oftentimes nameless and faceless. Right. And the bad people that they're hiring are oftentimes nameless and faceless. This was just a situation where we knew who the culprits were. Um, and so all of that to say, I hope that Urban Meyer learned a lesson from this situation. Um, I hope that whoever is going to be accepting that role is somebody who encourages a culture of inclusion and is somebody who is respectful of the players. But holy hell, that was a situation. No, it absolutely was. And, you know, it just the one good thing that comes out of that is the NFL, you know, did its part and putting it out there saying that, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. This is not going to be something where he's going to stay there because, you know, that that had to have there had to have been talks behind the doors um, with that happening, um, with that playing a part in, in the decision for him to resign. There was just no way that it was it was going to happen like that. Just we just knew from the get go. Um, I think when he hired him that just it wasn't going to fly. I mean, mm. this is just a different, you know, you're in the NFL. Um, yep. Hopefully then this made a statement for other places in college football as well, just because of the connection with Urban, um, that this like this can't be tolerated, you know, and that it's that just because it's your guy um, doesn't mean he can get away with that and just go and get a job somewhere else. So that's it. I, I really think it was a good point um, proven and. Hopefully we, we, we don't have to deal with something like that again, where it just seems um, it just seems like a joke that that was even an issue. Right. That that even came about. It just it just I could go on for days about, you know, did you think about what the players in your locker room would think? Yeah. Did you think about the former Ohio or Iowa player that's on the team, what he yeah. would think. Uh, it's just this is like the hardest part for me is like. I know that guy, I played for that guy. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's, you know, it's one of those situations where you feel like, you feel like he would have made a better decision. Like it was a huge letdown to see that happen. And it's gotta be a learning situation, but I can't say that 
in good faith because the year 2020 was supposed to be a learning situation on that exact topic for everybody. Right. Um, and so like, that's, what's most disappointing about it is here's a guy who I have personally, uh, come to trust and come to value and everything else. And then you see them make just like terrible decision mm -hmm. that you, you feel like it's just common sense. <sighs> And then you just got to sigh. That's, how and that's it. Say. And that's how you have to like feel, you know, you're just like, let's just make sure that there's not any more kind of bad decisions made because it's, it's not going to fly. Um, it's, it's not. It's, it's just it's, not. It's just not. And so hopefully you truly, you know, learn something from that. Um, well, we'll wrap things up for this episode of Press Pass. We mentioned um, next week we're going to try to do this since we have the video capability now and put it on YouTube. So that'll be cool. Um, I'll try to post it to my YouTube channel. It is um, just youtube.com slash user slash Anderson Kayla 77. You can just type in my name in Google Kayla Anderson YouTube and you'll find me on there. Um, and we'll put that up there. You can follow Joshua on Twitter. Where can they find you? At RIP underscore JEP on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, had a PSA that I put out. Um, I believe it was yesterday that I just want to reiterate to everybody because this is, I mean, this news I'm about to put out here applies to everybody across America right now, mm -hmm. it seems like, but the roads have been a mess. Yeah. And a lot of times um, people in the Midwest are, you know, accustomed to driving on these roads. People yeah. maybe down South where you're at Kayla um, aren't so accustomed to it, but this is something that people still struggle with regardless of where they're from. Yeah. Just because you have all wheel drive, or four-wheel drive does not mean that you have all-wheel or four-wheel stop. Right. Okay. So you get your four-by-four four truck, people driving their Jeep Wranglers. You can fly down the streets, plow through five inches of snow. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, man, I this snow is nothing for me. Okay. Well, you know what is something for you? That damn stop sign. Okay. Exactly. Because if you don't give yourself enough distance and you're going too fast, you're going to end up in a ditch or rear-ending somebody. So slow down and drive safely, especially for you people down south with your lifted Please. trucks and all that other stuff. You think you're slick. That ice don't give a damn about your lift kit. And that ice don't give a damn about your, your drivetrain either. So slow down. That's a perfect PSA for this week. We all need that because half the country is in an ice storm right now. So I would totally agree with you that with that. And if you don't have to go out on the roads, guys, just don't go out on the road. Yeah. And it's a pandemic still, too. Though. We feel like people forgot that. So you shouldn't be just right. out willy nilly anyway. Exactly. So come on, like, take it seriously. Um, you can find me uh, at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter as well. We will be back here next week. Same time, same place. Um, for now, though, you guys stay safe out there. Um, stay warm as much as you can if you're in the cold parts of the country. And we'll be back for another episode next week. Take care.